Second Corinthians chapter six, verse 14 through chapter seven, verse one. Father, we come before you as we just sing amazing love, amazing grace. And Father, we think about this grace because of your love. And Father, as I look at this, uh, may your people who are called by your name heed your counsel, heed your command. And Father, do it in a way that we understand it is only for our best. Give us ears to hear, Father. But Father, give us a passion for your book. Father, may we be overwhelmed by just the privilege of your book. And yet, Father, be overwhelmed as we read your book and your spirit blossoms it in our very fabric of our soul. Thank you, Lord, for the amazing things you do. To your glory and praise. Amen. Beginning at verse 14, chapter 6. Do not be bound together with unbelievers. For what partnership has fellowship and lawlessness? Or what fellowship is light with darkness? Or what harmony Christ and Belial? And what has a believer in common with an unbeliever? Or what agreement has the temple of God with idols? For we are the temple of the living God, just as God said. I will dwell in them and walk among them. I will be their God, and they shall be my people. Therefore, come out from their midst and be separate, says the Lord, and do not touch what is unclean, and I will welcome you. I will be a father to you, and you shall be sons and daughters to me, says the Lord Almighty. Therefore, having these promises, beloved, let us cleanse ourselves from all defilement of the flesh and spirit, perfecting holiness in the fear of God. We have been looking at this text uh, for some weeks, uh, and I, I entitled this section Separation. And um, I've spent the weeks explaining to you what it means and what it doesn't mean. I have seen it uh, very often misused, um, probably more misused than ever truly used. Uh, and and uh, we've been kind of going through this because the Apostle Paul gives us five points um, in this command that why you should separate, okay? Um, this is our Christian life. This is the essence of our Christian life. Uh, this is the essence of our Christian ministry, okay? We are to separate from unbelievers because we are separated. God has called to himself a holy people, a royal priesthood, the church. And 614 says, you are set apart to the Lord. Do not be bound together with unbelievers. Now, I have to share with you some things because I know you're expecting me to get into point five, and I'm not going to make it. Okay, now here's why. Since I've been studying Second Corinthians, um, I use legal notepads. I know, I'm old school. I use legal notepads for my study. Um, uh, whether it is word translations, thought translations, whatever it is I'm working through, and I use legal notepads as I study. Right now, I'm setting three pages under 1,500 pages of notes, okay, just into chapter 1, or verse 1 of chapter 7. So, you're not getting a lot, okay, and, I, and maybe it's just not worth repeating. I just wrote it down. Perhaps it was just for me. I'm convinced in the body of Christ today, maybe even some in this room, that the importance of this verse is not realized. 
What is being taught here? What Paul is telling us to be separate. Okay? And I've shared with you, because I've seen it used, uh, you know, this means do not marry an unbeliever. That's not what this verse means. Okay? It has nothing to do with marriage. Okay? And if you look at this verse in light of these verses, in light of First and Second Corinthians, it's real simple what it means. The church in Corinth was allowing the culture to affect the church. Now, we do this sometimes because we believe that we can encourage the people. Perhaps we will just slightly embrace the culture. And then we can win some to Christ. Even the Apostle Paul, I become all things to all men so that I may win some. Well, you got to ask yourself, what does he mean by this? And it's really simple if you look at it. Um, do we have partnership righteousness with lawlessness? What can we join together in? Okay. What fellowship, koinonia, can I light have with darkness? Do you realize the two can exist together? Okay. Harmony. It's like a symphony. It's the word we get symphony from. What symphony, harmony does Christ have with Satan? What does a believer have in common with an unbeliever? What agreement has the temple of God with idols? The temple of the true and living God. And, and, and it's very simple that what he's talking about here is when it comes to uh, whatever you want to call it, a, a spiritual enterprise, a religious activity, um, the life of Christians and the life of church cannot be joined with unbelievers. God has always... Now, hear me well. This is going to be a thinking message. Okay? You're going to have to think, what do you say? No. <laughs> God has always called his people to separate. God has always called his people to separate completely. The Corinthians were trying to hold on to both. And he says there must be a complete separation from any and all forms of false religion. And one of the things that amazes me is, is that what I watch in Christians today is they don't understand that it's for their own good. For the sake of their own faithfulness, for the sake of their own purity, for the sake of their own usefulness, for their own blessing, for God's glory and for the glory of his truth. God has always, always, always called His people to separate themselves. Do not be bound with false. Because it always shipwrecks the faith of some. It always eats like gangrene. And you think that you can pull it off. I looked at last week, Solomon, the wisest man ever, he couldn't pull it off. So perhaps you can.
It always has the same effect. And God always says separate completely. Our enemy, Satan, is disguised as what? An angel of light. He is not Yosemite Sam with horns and a little tail and a pitchfork. He makes his own religion. And did you know this? It will always be opposite to what God does. And he does it very well because he's subtle, he's disguised, and he's a deceiver. And it always does the same thing. It confuses the people. Always. And God is not the God of confusion. If you have confusion, guess what? You've bought the deception. I grew up early. Well, that sounds kind of funny. I was saved late. I was the late bloomer. Um, and I watched a lot of people throw a lot of things. It's um, Most people believe in the evangelical church today that the Antichrist religion is the Roman Catholics. Okay? Do you know why we believe that? I do. Martin Luther said it. Therefore, it must be true. Well, if you lived in the time of Martin Luther, you probably thought that. I got to look at John Knox's study Bible. Okay, it was presented to Prince James in 1553. And if you just flip through this thing, is massive. It's, it's about this way and about like that. It's about that thick. It's handwritten. You've got to understand that. So if you read through it, it's got study notes along all the margins. And anytime you come to a text dealing with the Antichrist, apostasy, or false religion, it's the Pope. Well, yeah, if the Pope is trying to blow you up, you probably think he's an Antichrist. Okay, but to, to try to get a theological basis that Roman Catholicism is the Antichrist is foolish. But it is a false religion. God tells you and I to separate. Okay, now I want to kind of go through some things and I want you to think with me as we go through some of these. Because... I have been convicted that you need to understand the degree of passion to separate. This isn't a flippant, well, you know, you know, just don't get involved with nothing. It's way more than that. Let me show you some. Go to the book of Deuteronomy, chapter 7. Okay, the book of Deuteronomy, the word means second law. It was given to Israel... As they prepared to take the land of Canaan, God was going to hand it over to them. And once you get into this land, this is how I want you to conduct yourselves. Okay? All right. So this is God's instruction for what he's about to give us. The Lord is going to clear the way. Verse, or cha- yeah, verse 1, chapter 7. When the Lord your God brings you into the land where you are entering to possess it and clears the way of many nations before you. Okay, who's going to do the clearing? God is. 
All right. He's going to clear the many nations before you. The Hittites, the Jezersites, the Amorites, the Canaanites, the Perizzites, the Hivites, the Jebusites. Seven nations greater and stronger than you. And when the Lord, your God, delivers them before you, you will defeat them and you shall what? Utterly destroy them. Wait a minute. I thought he was the God of love. And grace and mercy. Ain't he that the love of, you know, he's a patient, merciful, gracious God. And he says, I want you to defeat them and utterly destroy them. You know what that literally means? Utterly destroy them. They won't be any. You know what you call it today? Are you ready? Genocide. Ethnic cleansing. God says, get rid of all of them. Wait a minute. That can't be right. God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. Whoever should believe in him should not perish. We need to understand some things. One of the problems that you have today, because you are bombarded against it, Most of us do not understand the depth of evil that is in humanity. We run into a couple of oddballs occasionally. Oh, that guy's nuts. You know, uh, you know, you think about Adolf Hitler, Joseph Stalin. Oh, mean, corrupt. I can't believe them people. You know what? It's not for grace. There you go. Okay. It is capable of every one of us. And we don't pay attention to it. The depravity of man. Depravity is one of my favorite Greek words. Found useless. For its intended purpose. When God looks at man, he looks at man completely useless. He has a section of country that he's going to give to this country that he's chosen. This group of people, the Israelites. He's going to give it to them and they have to get rid of everybody in the neighborhood. Why? Because they're not strong enough to withstand them. We don't look at these nations and understand how idolatrous they were. One of the things there, if you'll see that the Amorites, wonderful people. They used to build buildings. And to bless the buildings, you know what they did? They'd take a live fetus and put it in a jar and put, bury it into the cornerstone. And that would keep evil away. God wants them obliterated. Destroy these people. Do we understand that when man creates his religions, it only blasphemes God? It says things of God that he is not. We do not understand how gross man-made religion is, how deadly man-made religion is, or how hopeless Man-made religion is. There is no repentance in man-made religion. And it corrupts. And it is absolutely against God. It is absolutely against God's purposes. All of it. And God says, utterly destroy it. Wipe it out. 
We've already looked at it in Corinthians. Evil company what? Corrupts good morals. Separate. To have the children of God live side by side by blasphemous, wicked idolaters only ends in the corruptions of God's people. That's the only way it ever ends. Did you hear what I said? It is the only way it ever ends. The people of God will be corrupted. God brought Israel out of Egypt. Obliterated Pharaoh's army. Gave them the gold and wealth of Egypt to put them on their way. And then they go to get the Ten Commandments when they come down. What are the Israelis doing? A golden calf. Wonder where they thought that up. Well, we ain't got no cows with us, so let's worship a cow. Really? No, they got it from Egypt. Let's blend Egyptian false religion with the true God and we'll have a truer religion. You can't do it. You will utterly destroy them. And then he says this. You will make no covenant with them and show no favor to them. I will make no partnership with them, nor even give them favoritism. God's, in his righteousness, cannot bless those who break this. It is for their protection, the protection of God's people, that they enter into this relationship with him and leave the idolatry. Listen, do you understand that you live amongst people right now who have passed God's grace? They can never be saved. They're still alive. They're still functioning. But grace has left the building for them. What does it look like? I don't know. But if you think everybody alive right now is going to be saved, you're a fool. So they've already passed God's grace. It's already passed. They can't come back. They've passed repentance. They have literally lived in a state of hopelessness for eternity. And God will not allow that gangrene to destroy his purposes nor his people. And what he says is, I call for their destruction. No covenant, no favor. No alliance, no compromise. Zero. Look what he says. You do not understand how important this is. You just flat out do not understand it. You have, see, once you get the fatal flaw that I have, a love for history, I can go back through history till Deuteronomy and show you every single time that truth mingles with false, who loses? Every 
single time. And we do it because we, Solomon loved his 300 wives. So go ahead. Have your little altar, your little statues, your little incense burners. It is okay, my love, because I love you. God, you ever heard that? I can't confront false religion. It doesn't seem loving. You know what? You're hating them by not. Furthermore, verse 3 says, you shall not intermarry with them. Okay, now we got one that says don't marry an unbeliever. Okay? In case you were wondering, this is what it's talking about. This is don't marry an unbeliever. All right? Not Corinthians. Deuteronomy. All right? People of God do not marry intermarry with unbelievers. Why? Ugh. Which one gets corrupted? Every stinking time. I can count and count and count the number of times that I've watched a believer in Jesus Christ marry an unbeliever and fall. They can't stand. Well, what if they're... It doesn't work that way. It has never worked that way. Break up with them. Now. Before you ever marry. Why? Maybe that'll be the crushing blow that God will bring him to salvation. If not, you're better off. I've never, I, this is mind-boggling to me. Well, but you just don't understand. Oh. You know, they tell me that love is blind. Okay? My response is always the same. But it ain't stupid. <laughs> so come on now. <laughs> you may be blindly in love. Don't be stupid. <laughs> okay, now listen. I want to show you. You guys don't think I don't know what I'm talking about. or You know, he's been married for a long time. He just doesn't understand. Read verse 4, please. Please read verse 4. Because God tells you why. I don't want you to have a covenant with them. I don't want you to show them no favors. I want you to utterly destroy them. I don't want you to intermarry. I don't want you to give your daughters to them. I don't want to give your sons to them. Why? Verse 4. For they will turn your sons away from following me. <laughs> huh. That's pretty interesting, don't you think? And then the anger of the Lord will be kindled against you. And he will quickly quickly destroy you. <laughs> There's that loving Jesus guy. See what I'm trying to get at? This is kind of important. You know, and we all say, well, I just won't sell. No, you don't understand. You have to separate. Why? The wise and blessed Solomon. Two visits from God himself. Worked out well for him, didn't it? There is a lot at stake here. You can't compromise here. They will influence you and it will eat you like gangrene. And I guarantee you something. If you've ever been around gangrene, you will never, ever forget that putrid smell. The 
putrefied, rotting flesh. You can't forget that one. And it says when you start doing this, it will eat like gangrene. There's no communing. It can't be done. And it's a tragedy if you even think that you can do it. Verse 5. But thus you shall do to them. You shall tear down their altars and smash their sacred pillars, hew down their ashram and burn their graven images with fire. Remove completely the contamination. That's what God is telling us. Why? There is a risk. Think about it. He brings them out of Egypt. And their conclusion is, let's make a gold calf. Satanic false religions corrupt always. I, I'm right now. I'm in a in a phase. I'm having a phase. Um, <laughs> I'm in John Knox. I'm in my John Knox phase. Most of the time, when people talk about John Knox, and if you don't know who he is, don't worry about it. Uh, I have Scottish blood in me somewhere. I think down on my left foot. But anyway, uh, um, I have Scottish blood in me, and he was a Scottish reformer who uh, had to flee Scotland uh, and lived in Geneva under John Calvin for uh, a little time. And then he went back and just made, <laughs> made Queen Mary furious that she actually took the French, uh, made alliance with the French Navy, and they shelled St. Andrews where John Knox was hiding. <laughs> and they would take off the coast in their ships and shoot cannons at him. And so... He was talking about all these theologians trying to figure out how to shoot a cannon. And they loaded it and they fired it. And he says it is an amazing thing when you learn to aim a cannon. And I was like, <laughs> you just shoot it up in the air. What? <laughs> Do you see that? So anyway, I'm fascinated by it. Um, he is considered basically what you would call the, the father of the Scottish Presbyterians. Okay. Um, if you look at him historically, though. You'll realize this man's a soldier. Okay? He originally, as a Christian, was the bodyguard for one of the original Scottish reformers who were coming against Roman Catholics uh, in England. Okay? And he was a soldier. He carried a sword. And he was a bodyguard. That's what he did. And if you look at the way he preached and the way he taught, you realize this guy <laughs> still a soldier. You know, every time we, I hear that song, Onward Christian Soldiers, John Knox comes to mind. Okay? Um, and if you look at it, when they run the, the, the Catholics out of Scotland, it was very common for the Scottish reformers uh, to go after the Catholic buildings. Okay? And literally destroy the edifices of these buildings. Anything that would have a semblance of Roman Catholicism because they read this and it says destroy them and I'm doing it. Okay. John Knox had a saying that he would say. And I quote, pull down the nest and the birds will disappear. Unquote. And uh, that's what he did. <laughs> I mean, and it, he kind of encouraged everybody. Yeah, go ahead. And and you, but see, we look at that and think, well, man, he's just redneck against the, the Catholics. Yeah, because I've seen Bibles from that era. And if you look at it, half of them are pink. And I couldn't understand why, why is half of this thing pink? I mean, you open it up and you can look at half of it was pink. 
And these are handwritten Bibles. And you're saying, how does these are big? And it's very common for Queen Mary to find a reformer, a person who believed that the ultimate authority for a Christian is the Bible. And that all Christians should have a Bible and read it. That was what made the Catholics extraordinarily mad. So what she would do is eviscerate them. Do you know what that means? Split their guts open. And before they died, she would take their Bibles and dip it into the wound. And pull it out and says, this is what your Bible has gotten you. And you wonder why John Knox says, tear down the churches. Deuteronomy was to tell the Jews how to live in the land God was giving them. And it was a command. It was a mandate from God. And they would run around, the Jewish people would run around, smashing the buildings of the false religions. Now listen, we're in Castle Rock, Colorado. There is a number of false religions in this town. I do not recommend that you go out and destroy their buildings. That's not what I'm saying. That's not what I'm saying. You know why? This ain't my land. Israel had a land that was being given to them by God. Destroy it. Destroy the false religion that's in there. There's going to be false religion around here until Christ returns. Okay? Um, I'm not worried about it. All right? But I want you to understand. Do you understand what the, the intent of this is? Remove it. To the point of you destruct, destroy it. The Scottish reformers were doing it to protect the people from the influence of false religion. That's why they did it. It's all around us. But our response today is separate from it. God gives us a reason. For you are a holy people to the Lord your God. And the Lord your God has chosen you to be a people for his own possession. Out of all the peoples who are on the face of the earth. Do you understand that? I had a friend of mine who's in the IDF, Israeli Defense Force. Was it three years ago? Four years ago. Uh, it was under the prior administration. Yeah, it was under Bush. Um, we had a little flare-up there in uh, Gaza. And uh, so Israel decided, uh, here's what we're going to do. We're going to roll tanks. And then they've got these D9 bulldozers. Uh, and what they do is they figure out who, who's fighting against them. Then they take the bulldozer and they level the house. I mean, and I'm talking level the house. They just scrape it off. It's... No. And they were going to get ready to start this assault. And it was kind of curious because my friend's in the IDF. He's a, a tank driver. And he says what they were doing was texting the Palestinian Christians and tell them what streets they were coming down and stay clear of these places. So the Palestinian Christians would know where not to go because the Israeli army was coming through to destroy some houses and kill these terrorists. And I find that fascinating because everybody keeps telling me, well, when is there ever going to be peace? Let's start texting Jesus, man. Okay? There is peace among the Christians. Among the Christians. You are set apart. We are God's possession. We belong to no other. We can have no alliance. We can have no covenant with anything that is false. Anything that is raised up against God. 
speculations and false ideas. Okay? Just in case you're starting to think, well, you know, that's an Israel and they're kind of goofy. I'm going to take it to an individual basis then. Let me take it to an individual basis. Okay? Please turn with me to Daniel chapter 1. Daniel chapter 1. Now we're talking personal. Daniel's chapter 1. In the third year of the reign of Jehoiakim, king of Judah, Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, came to Jerusalem and besieged it. And the Lord gave Jehoiakim, did you read that? The Lord gave Jehoiakim, king of Judah, into his hands. God gave Judah, that'd be Judah and Benjamin, after the split up of King Solomon's empire, Ten tribes went to the north. Israel is what it was called. They worshipped in Shiloh. You still have Judah, who still had Jerusalem, where the original t- Solomon's temple was. Okay? In the third year of Jehoiakim's reign, God gave that over to Nebuchadnezzar. Okay? Along with some of the vessels of the house of God, and he brought them to the land of Sinar, and the house of his God... And he brought the vessels into the treasure of his God. He plundered the temple. Took the valuables out of the temple of Solomon in Jerusalem. And he put them amongst his possessions in his temple to his idols. Okay. But look at it. Who gave Jerusalem and Judah over? God did. God was protecting them, and he says, enough is enough. You have fallen away. You're unrepentant. You're done. Okay? Hmm. Interesting, don't you think? Then the king ordered Ashfez, the chief of his officials, to bring some of the sons of Israel, including some of the royal family and of the nobles. Look what verse 4 says. Youths. Use. How many have here have watched young people raised in the church, and as soon as they get out of the church environment, they graduate high school, they hit college, um, their ministries just flourish. Why is there such a tragedy when young people leave the protection of a godly home? And all of a sudden they become, shall I use the term, fools. Because that's what a fool is someone who says, I don't want to believe in truth. (laughs) That seems foolish. Okay, why do they do that? I can tell you why. Where are they spending most of their time? They are in places where ideas and philosophies are lifted up against the true and living God. And they always stand so well, right? That's what happened. Listen, and anymore, you can't say, well, go to a Christian college. Some of them are more dangerous than the secular college. At least at a secular college, I know what I'm getting. 
Christian college, you don't really know. And that even goes for seminary. I listen to some of the stuff that's going on in seminaries, and you're going, are you kidding me? They take the young men, the nobles, and then he makes some statements here, was no defect, who were good-looking, showing intelligence in every branch of wisdom, endowed with understanding and discerning knowledge, and they had the ability for serving in the king's court, and he ordered them ordered him to teach them the literature and the language of the Chaldeans. Okay? The Lord gave Judah to the Babylonians. It was punishment for their idolatry and apostasy. Okay? If you're truly, te- if you want to be honest with Scripture right here, you have to say this. God is on the Babylonian side. And He is. And He stays there for 70 years. But we've already seen, he gets a little ticked off with this mixing of religions. We've seen it in Ezekiel, we've seen it in 1 Samuel. God has problems with that when we don't. When we don't. They have a deportation. 3 and 4 shows this, that they're moving these people out. This took place in about 606 B.C. They left the Jewish king in place. But they removed all the brains. They took all the nobles. They took all of the wise ones. They took all the young ones. It's the same then as it is today. If you want to influence people, who do you grab a hold of? College kids. I've been to college. I had to leave because I knew I wouldn't survive it. You take them. Why? They're gullible. I'm sorry, but they are. You can tell them anything. This is truth. Really? Yep. And they're gullible. They don't ever test what is told them. It's a professor told me. So it has to be true. Well, what if it's against God? But that's the professor. You know, I remember my son, he's a geologist. And he was studying dirt. (laughs) Which... Okay, guess it's something you grow into. And he came to me one day and he says, Dad, there's absolutely no way that this is a young earth. I said, really? And he went through this great dissertation and used these $22 words and all the rest of it. And uh, so when he got done, he says, there's just no argument for it. I said, all right. I said, I have one question I'll ask you. He says, what's that? I said, how old was Adam when he was created? He said, what? How old was Adam when he was created? Well, I don't know. Was he an infant? And Mother Nature raised him or what? How, did, how old was he? Well, no, he could walk and talk. I said, so he created with... Age. And then it's like all my philosophies and theories and wisdom just got chucked out the door. How old was Adam? I don't know. I don't either. I know how long he lived. But I can't say that, you know, I think he was about 13 and a half years old when God created him. He could have been an infant and Mother Nature raised him. And God just left that part out. 
Because we know the writers of the Bible were anti-women. I've heard this. I heard that from theologians. And you're going, what? See what I'm trying to get at? You can't mix the false. And you take young people. And it says there, I want to teach them literature and language of the Chaldeans. Okay, the language of the Chaldeans is what the Babylonians speak. Okay, what would the literature be? It would be a little bit before Shakespeare. You know what it would be classified as? Theology. Their whole culture is based on their deities. Let me change their religion. Let me change their theology. Okay? They were a culture of magic and sorcery. If you go back to the Septuagint, you will find the word that we translate sorcery. It's pharmakeo. You know what that is? Drugs. <laughs> Let's do drugs and act magical. We used to call that when I was growing up, pretty colors. Teach them to forget about Jehovah. Have them learn the great joy and peace and compassion of worshiping the gods of the Babylonians. Let's teach them theology for three years. Let's reprogram them. Verse 5. The king appointed them a daily ration from the king's choice foods and from the wine which he drank. And he appointed that which... That they should be educated three years, at the end of which they would enter into the king's personal service. Let's change their lifestyle. Young people who are of college age would love to eat from the royal table and drink from the royal wines. Hey, look at us! Young men, nobles of Israel... They were used to a little of the fancy foods. The little besieged thing probably cut down on their food. But the thing is, is the fancy foods of the Babylonians came from where? The temples, the idol feasts. As Paul says, now let us indulge at the table of demons. Verse 8 says, this translation... Um, the literal translation is set upon his heart, but Daniel set upon his heart that he would not defile. See, Daniel knew what meant was going to happen to be drawn into the lifestyle. I'm going to change their theology, the literature and the language of the Chaldeans. I'm going to change their lifestyle, make them feel like royalty. But let me also change their names. Daniel, change his names to Belteshar. You know what Daniel means? God is judge. Let me change that name. You know what's funny? If you ask people about the three companions of Daniel's, what will they tell you? Shadrach, Meshach, Abednego. 
Shadrach means glory to the idol of Babylon. Meshach is who is Achan, the moon god. Abednego is servant of Nebo, the god of wisdom. But the real names was Hananiah, the Lord is gracious. Mishael, who is what the Lord is. And Azra, the Lord is my help. Let me change it. Let me change your character. Let me change your individuality. So I'm going to change your theology. I want to change your lifestyle. And I'm going to change who you are. You know what they call that? Brainwashing. And we can do it in three years. It was planned. And it was, if you go back through history, you'll find out it was extraordinarily effective. Change your theology, change your lifestyle, and they will move to idol worship. One of the things that I watched, if I study history, in the 1960s was the great rise of liberal theology. Okay? And the church rose up. It was amazing. Rose up and just, no! And stood firm and didn't waver. You know what liberal theologians did? They repented and said, hey, sorry. And then they became teachers. And they began to teach the hermeneutics of liberal theology. And therefore you will learn what? Liberal theology. And the church doesn't make a peep about it. Why? Because we're all practicing the same style. Change the names. Now they identify with idols. Even to the point that today, when you think about the three boys who got thrown in the fiery furnace, you will remember the Babylonian names. Daniel said he made up his mind that he would not defile himself. The word defile is an interesting word. It means to pollute or stain. I will not pollute myself. I will not stain myself. I will separate from the false religion. And the major food, major move is food. Why? All the food is offered to... Listen, I've changed your name to Babylonian names, to idol-worshiping names. And so here, have some food offered to idols. And they said, no. These four young men, do you hear? I want you to think about it. These are college-age young men. Who should be swept away by this. And they said, no. No, I'm not. And you know what? God honored their stand. Now God, verse 9 says, Now God granted Daniel favor and compassion in the sight of the commander of the officials. Here's what has happened. He says, I'm not going to be defiled with myself with the king's choice food or with the wine which he drank. So he sought permission from the commander of the officials that he might not defile himself. So the commander of the officials says, Man, if you don't eat this good food, get fat and happy. Gee, many crickets. I'm going to be in trouble. He says, No, God honor it. And God honored it. Gave favor and compassion in the sight of the commander. And the commander of the official said to Daniel, I'm afraid that my lord, the king, who has appointed your food and your drink, for he will see your faces looking more haggard than the youth said of your own age. And he will forfeit my head to the king. He says, Please test your servants for 10 days. Let us be given some vegetables to eat and water to drink. And our appearance be observed in your presence and the appearance of the youths that are eating the king's choice food and deal with your servants accordingly. 
They listened, and in ten days the appearance seemed better. They were fatter than all of the youths who were eating the king's choice food. God blessed their non-compromising stance. Now listen, a non-compromising stance has its problems. A furnace, okay, lion's dens, and you have a whole group of Babylonians who just really don't like you. You have leadership that will be against you. And Satan will always try to pollute the true. He will always try to stain the true. He's subtle. He's a deceiver. He blends truth with false. And we must completely separate any and all forms of false religion. Because when you put false religion with truth, it becomes confusing. I remember a number of years ago, there was a document that came out called ECT. Okay, Evangelicals and Catholics Together. And it was for the betterment of our society. Okay, And a whole bunch of really smart people got together that I wouldn't listen to any of them. And yet there was some that troubled me in it. They took some of the greatest minds of the Roman Catholicism and they took some of the people from the evangelical circles. Uh, Pat Robertson, I do not classify as a great theologian for the faith. Sorry. Okay. But one of the guys who came out of this thing who helped write this document was a guy I admire greatly, J.I. Packard. And they came up with this on how we can preserve our society if evangelicals and Catholics can work together. Three precious saints stood up and was literally, they were almost crucified for their stance against it. A guy named James Kennedy out of Coral Ridge, Florida. A guy named R.C. Sproul out of Florida. And John MacArthur out of Southern California. And they said, no. We have no business whatsoever being hooked up with this. And there was a firestorm that came against them because we were all trying to get along to save our community. And I just received an email uh, a week ago where the shape of our our nation right now is these three men's fault. If they would have allowed the Catholics and the evangelicals to work together, we wouldn't be debating homosexual marriage. We wouldn't worry about pot in Colorado. We wouldn't, all these other things would all go away because the evangelicals and Catholics are working together. Now, if it hadn't been my computer, I'd have thrown it across the room. So keep me away from your computers, people. <laughs> I've seen this in seminaries. I've seen this in Christian colleges. Um, You know what? Here's the thing, and I want you to remember, and I'm going to about wrap this up. I know I'm beating on a horse. I want you to understand the urgency of this. Here's how subtle it is. If you want to learn theology today, where do you go? Where do you go? If I want to learn theology today, where is theology taught? I know where it is, but most people go where? 
Christian college or seminary. And you know what? Neither one of them have been called by God to teach theology. One place teaches theology. Church. Church. And that's why so many can go to a Christian college or go to a a seminary and get so confused when they come out. Why? They don't have no theology. And they think they're going to go there and they're going to get theology. And if you go listen to the people, we have four theologians on staff. But do they believe in the inerrant, interpretative, and authoritative book? Well, no. It's open for interpretation. What? I got in trouble in our denomination when I preached a message that said, there are not multiple interpretations of Scripture. There's multiple applications, but not interpretations. And I couldn't believe it. They were furious with me. You can't say that. Well, I don't know. The Apostle Paul told the Ephesian elders, the blood of innocent man is not on my hand. I have not forsaken the full counsel of God. I'm pretty sure that that's one interpretation. They got mad at me. (laughs) But that's because I followed a guy who shared the gospel through ballet. This is bad planning on... Oh, so many levels. Let me go first. Because <laughs> my first comment was, I'd have never got saved. I hate ballet. <laughs> Sorry. I know if you're a ballet dancer, get over it. <laughs> Compromise is deadly to truth. When you compromise, what happens to your convictions? We must separate. We must remind everyone to separate. The enemy is subtle. You see it in Deuteronomy. God says utterly destroy it. You see it in Daniel. That's what chapter 6 verse 14 through 7 1 is saying. Separate, separate, separate. The Corinthians were trying to hold both. And I will give you and close with this one because this is some of my favorite stuff right here. By jumping Jehoshaphat. 2 Timothy chapter 2. Be diligent to present yourself approved to God as a workman who does not need to be ashamed, accurately handling the word of truth. Okay, right next behind my computer screen, if you look, it's kind of a goofy picture, it's a cool picture though. That's the text. Alright, that's the text. Then he makes this statement. I want you to be diligent. In the word of truth. Now listen, every one of you need to be diligent in the word of truth. Okay? Because you need to avoid worldly and empty chatter. You need to avoid it. Why? What does it lead to? Ungodliness. And their talk will spread like gangrene. Among them, Arminius and Alexander. Men who have gone astray from truth, saying the resurrection has already taken place. And they've upset the faith of many. Verse 20 says, In a large house, there are not only gold and silver vessels, but there are vessels of wood and earthenware. Some are to honor and some are to dishonor. 
If anyone, therefore, if anyone cleanses himself from the things which the vessel of honor sanctify, useful to the master, prepared for every good work. And then what does he say? He says, the first thing you need to do, first thing, be diligent in the word of truth, and you will present yourself as a vessel of honor. Okay? And then he says, flee, flee youthful lust. What's more important? The seduction of a woman or a man or the word of truth? The word of truth. Avoid empty chatter. It's important. Very, very important. Then my favorite verse in all of Scripture. This one is back behind my head. Colossians chapter 1. I've asked people... (laughs) People have asked me that there used to be a buzz going on a few years ago. What is your philosophy of ministry? (laughs) And I always quote this. We proclaim him admonishing every man, teaching every man with all wisdom so that we may present every man complete in Christ. (laughs) That's my philosophy of ministry. Busy, busy, busy. Why? I want to be a worker who is diligent with the word of truth. Okay, so verse 29 goes with this. 28 is my favorite. But 29 is, For this purpose I labor striving according to the power which mightily works within me. So there's two sides to this. The Holy Spirit working within me, but I have to bust my butt. I'm labor and striving to the point of exhaustion. Have you ever been in prayer long enough to sweat? And I don't mean go do it out in the sun. Have you ever wrestled for a person's soul till you sweat? Have you ever wrestled with the word of God till you sweat? Then let me tell you something. If you have not, you are susceptible to being bound with unbelievers. And it will shipwreck your faith and it will eat at you like gangrene. That's what the word of God says. That's what the word of God says. That's why I take this so seriously. All right? I, 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 I beg you, strive and labor at being diligent in the Word of God. And then you will have the ability to proclaim Him, admonishing every man and teaching every man with all wisdom so that we may present every man complete in Christ. That is our responsibility, people. We are not being used because we don't know what the book says and we're setting ducks as soon as we open our mouth. Because somebody could throw something out there and you go, oh, gee, I, I don't know. And then you may play on it a while. And then one of the worst things I've ever seen, we listen to our own counsel. Listen to the counsel of God. Okay? That's how important this separation thing is. You must separate yourself, be immersed in laboring and striving in the things of God, knowing the things of God, and standing on the things of God without compromise. Let me tell you something. You will have enemies. Okay? But if you stand, is he not faithful to even keep you in the lion's den? I like it. I like it. 
I don't want to be a vessel of dishonor. It literally means a garbage bucket. Still saved. What did you do for Jesus? Carried out the garbage. I want to be a vessel of honor. I pray that that will become the passion of every single one of you. Let's pray. Father, to your glory and praise, I thank you for your word. Father, I pray that it wasn't too big of a rabbit's trail. Father, I pray that you use the words of Paul and Moses, Daniel, to speak to each of us. We may understand this urgency. We may understand the horror of this time. Help us to stand in the grace that is in Christ Jesus. In Christ's name, amen.